Good morning, Jubilee. Uh, way back in the start of May, we began this series of ours in Philippians, this letter from lockdown, as we've been calling it. One of the things we've seen again and again as we've preached our way through this series is Paul's great love and affection for the Philippian church. Uh, this church that he's previously planted, who now share with him and partner with him in the preaching of the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins in Jesus to the ends of the earth, and who now suffer, just as Paul's suffering in prison for the faith, uh, suffer because of their faith, persecuted in their own city. And yet Paul says, despite their suffering, and as we've seen, he teaches even in and through and by their suffering, this gospel is continuing to advance. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. And he goes on later to talk about, as we've seen, how your standing firm, fearlessly in faith, helps too to, to preach the gospel and to make Jesus famous. And so Paul has written this letter, both to Philippians, in their setting, and to thank them for all that, that they are doing in partnering with him. He wants to encourage them. He wants to stir their faith, to gird their faith, to stir them in love and affection and passion for Jesus, even whilst they are standing firm in the face of opposition. And so all the way through, Paul has been keen to remind the Philippians of the size and the scope and the scale of the story that they're part of. He wants to cause them to look ahead, not just to their situation and setting, but to look ahead to all that Jesus is doing and what he will do the day that he will complete and perfect all that he's doing in them and through them. He says, I'm confident, doesn't he, right at the start of the letter, I am confident that he who began this work in you will see it through to completion. And Paul, for Paul, this looking ahead, this eternal perspective and the joy that's to be had in it, as well as empowering us to stand firm, also causes us to pursue God as our ultimate treasure, to chase after him, to take hold of him. Paul says this, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those of you who are mature think this way. Christian maturity is not a stationary, I've arrived position. Christian maturity is the pursuit, the hungry pursuit of God for all that he's worth. And so, as we saw last week, um, Steve, as he was preaching to us from Philippians 3, we saw that encouragement to continue to live eyes fixed on our eternal uh, destiny, our citizenship of, in heaven, living that way as citizens in heaven. And so now as we come into Philippians 4, Paul starts the chapter by saying, therefore, another weighty therefore on the back of everything that i've said on the back of everything that i've unpacked i want you he says to stand firm thus in the lord so paul what now he's going to speak into some very practical things on the in the 
on the basis of everything that he has said, in light of everything that he's said, those glorious truths that we've seen, he's, he wants to now bring them to bear and see them actioned in some very practical ways in the Philippian church. And so that's what I want us to look at today. As we finish our preaching series through Philippians, I want us to have a broad view of, of Philippians 4 and all that Paul is unpacking and applying of what he's already unpacked um, to the Philippians. And later, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting out some shorter uh, teaching uh, slots, some shorter studies on some of these specific things and zoom into those but as i say today what i want to do is i just want to get have a broad view of what paul is doing in this chapter and some of the major themes that we see there firstly we see uh, paul deal with this issue of christian unity one of the things that uh, paul has picked up on one of the bits of news that he's received from philippi as he's heard what how they're getting on is that these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, have had a disagreement to such an extent that they're not able to work together anymore. They're these, these two gifted women who have partnered with Paul in the church, in seeing the church served and the gospel advanced, are now no longer able to work together because they've had a, a, a strong disagreement. And so Paul comes and he says, I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, we've seen Paul deal earlier in the letter with this idea of unity. You know, he's, he's done it indirectly, as we've seen. As he said, you know, you're partners in the gospel. You're, as partakers in grace, you are partners in the gospel. And he's dealt with it directly. In Philippians 1, 27, he says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is strong language. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This disunity these two women christian disunity this inability to work together paul says is unworthy of the gospel that's strong language it is not worthy of the gospel it doesn't line up with in in one timothy paul uses the language it is it's not in accordance with sound doctrine it doesn't line up with what the gospel is and what the gospel does the gospel as we've seen philippians 1 brings unity if you're partakers if you have a share in grace you are partners in the gospel and so if you're not able to work together if you're not able to partner together then you're not modeling the gospel for paul when paul says i'm confident that he who began this work in you will bring it to completion he says that on the basis of he says it is right for me to think this way because of your partnership in the gospel for Paul, that partnership in that gospel, the partnership in, in taking, in working for the church, in working to take the good news of Jesus, is a sign of having received the gospel. And so when we find ourselves falling out with other Christians, unable to work alongside them, we shamefully 
misrepresent the work of the gospel. It is not, it doesn't line up, it is not worthy of the gospel. And so Paul comes and he says, I entreat, I plead with you, I beg you, agree in the Lord. He appeals to the urgent nature of the work, the work that we must be doing together. Guys, you can't fall out. There is work to be done. We are partners in this. He points as well, he points to the, the urgency of the work, but he points also to the uh, to eternity. Again, that eternal perspective. He says, your names are written in the book of life. So in other words, you're, you're working together now, but you're also going to spend eternity together. So you better figure this out. Agree in the Lord. And he asks others to help them, others who have received this letter, who have received that call for unity to help these guys to come together, these two women, to come together and to agree in the Lord. As Christians, when we disagree, it's not a small thing. No, it's huge. And so we must fight, fight for unity, fight to agree, fight to be able to work together and to help one another to do that. So as a church, we, if we're going to reach our city, if we're going to plant churches, we need to be unified in our mission, agreeing in the Lord of one mind, one spirit and living in a way that is worthy of the gospel as we do that. He talks also, he encourages the church again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. You know, as we said right at the start of the series, one of the great marks of this letter is Paul's joy and his call for the Philippians to share in that joy. Now, this might seem surprising because of the situation. Paul's in prison. The Philippians are facing persecution of their own. And Paul says, rejoice. And yet here it is. <laughs> here he is calling for joy. But it's not a detached, doped up unfounded unreasonable joy now this is not an empty command you know like someone saying cheer up without giving you any reason to be cheerful no this is a command that comes grounded in truth rejoice in the lord i say it again rejoice and so paul attaches as he has done throughout the letter this command to joy to glorious truth that produces joy when it's understood and the reason he gives is this the Lord is at hand. He is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is near. There is this promise of the nearness and the responsiveness of God that becomes the the grounding of our joy he is near to us and he responds to us he will guard you and paul will say in philippians 4 19 later on he says and he will provide for you all your needs according to his riches in glory in christ jesus so our joy is based in our security. It is a secure joy in Christ. And this security, when it's, we truly understand it, leads to real contentment. Now, discontentment is a real thing. In the UK, 
22 billion pounds is spent every year on advertising. That is, in the UK alone, 22 billion pounds is spent to make you feel like you don't have enough, like you need more, like you're lacking something. And those companies that spend that money are buying into a very real struggle that is the, at the heart of every human. The desire for more, the discontentment, that unsatisfied heart. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. That whether I have, whether I lack or whether I abound, I can do all things. I have learned the secret of contentment. And what is this secret? Paul's not keeping it a secret. He wants us to know the secret as well. Paul has shared it with us, in fact, throughout the letter. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of contentment is this. I count everything else as loss, says Paul. Philippians 3, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Our great hunger is for him and to have him and to know him because this is what he's taken hold of us for. And so I can lack things, I can abound in things, but it doesn't matter because my contentment isn't based on this or that. My contentment, my joy, my satisfaction, my security is based in Jesus and I have him and he has given himself to me. And so whether I lack or whether I abound, I'm content because I have all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The alternative to this, as we've seen, as Steve preached to us last week, is to make our God our stomach. You know, Steve, has, he said, you know, we're encouraging us to, to fix our eyes on heaven and what God has called us to and what God is, uh, has made us to be. He says it also comes with a warning, you know, others who who have sought after earthly things or things that are ultimately going to perish, chase after those things and ultimately follow them into the same fate of perishing. They seek after worldly things that don't satisfy. Uh, you know, hewn out cisterns that do not hold water. They chase after things that, that will not satisfy them. But Paul says, the secret to contentment is this. Joyful contentment. The secret of joyful contentment, says Paul, is the pursuit of God, knowing that we will take hold of all for which Christ has taken hold of us. Our heavenly citizenship. And so all of those things, that security, that joyful contentment, and that unity within faith, in partnership, in taking the gospel, all of those things free us and release us to be generous, which is where Paul lands at the end of Philippians 4. He says, I thank you for your generosity, your fruitful giving to the work of God. And so as we understand how secure we are, how unified we are and how content we can be in him. We are released to give generously. And all of this is for the glory of God. Hudson Taylor, one of the 
early missionaries into uh, central China uh, put out a letter calling for others to come and join them as they preached the good news of Jesus into China. And one of the things they write in this letter is, we want men and women who not only believe in eternity, but live for it. I let that hit you. Men and women who don't just believe it, but live for it. And that's my prayer for us as Jubilee. And as we plant churches, is that we'd be men and women, people who, who don't just believe these things that we've been unpacking through this uh, letter, through this series, but who live for them, who are driven by them, who, like Paul, forgetting what lies behind, press on to make these things our own who aren't satisfied with just having heard about them, but want to live them out. I want us to be unified as we press on together, standing fast in the faith to make it known to the world, that we are to be in joyful security and contentment, and that as we are, we are released to be generous. Amen. God bless you.